Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Welcome back to Raising Joy. This is a good day. Yes, it is. Tell me why. Because today we're going to talk about one of the most important subjects in mental health, and it's one that affects all of us. You are so right about that. Today, we are lucky to have Dr. Don Hood-Patterson on the show. She is the program manager with the Center for Children's Health, led by Cook Children's. Dr. Hood-Patterson graduated with her Ph.D. in pastoral theology from Bright Divinity School at Texas Christian University. Her main area of research and writing involves adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, which is what we'll be discussing today. Welcome, Dr. Don Hood-Patterson. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me this day, and it's such a joy to be with you. (laughs) It is. It's a joy to have you, too. Um, What are some examples of adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs as they're called, and why are they so important? That is a fantastic foundational question. So ACEs came out of a study from the 90s um, that was done by Kaiser Permanente and CDC, and they identified 10, what we now call the classic 10 ACEs, which are related to child abuse and neglect and what they call household dysfunction. And so there are 10 identified ACEs that came out of that study. And the reason that ACEs are so important and so foundational for um, some of the things that we think about in healthcare, both physical and mental healthcare, is that they have a really long lasting impact on a person's health. So when I say person's health, I think about both the physical health and the mental health of a person. And so some of the examples of some of those classic ACEs are things like um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, physical neglect. But then the things that fall into the category that they deem as household dysfunction are things like divorce mm-hmm. or a relative has been incarcerated. And one of the things that um, I want to mention is that those are the um the foundational ones those that are associated with that particular study. But as the research has emerged, we are finding that more and more things that are adversities to people are also linked to poor health outcomes. And so when I say poor health outcomes, of course, there's the mental health aspect, but then it's linked to things like diabetes or heart heart conditions. Um, So it really does have a tie to many aspects of our lives. I read that study by Dr. Filetti whenever I was in residency, and there are a few times whenever you read something that it really changes the way that you see the world and your practice of medicine. And for me, the ACEs study is the top most important study for child psychiatry just to understand the role that trauma has on uh, childhood development. And unfortunately, we see a lot of that. I see a lot of that in my, uh, my, pra- my practice and also on the inpatient unit and things like that, because as you may guess, kids have a lot of thoughts and feelings about um, like being abused, neglected, or living in a house that where they don't feel safe and secure. So I'm just so glad that there's that this is an area of focus that's being addressed by Cook. That makes me really happy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's funny though that you say that these things, these basic fundamental things, are are aces because I would have never thought. Okay, divorce. 
Mm-hmm. Who hasn't, who who wasn't, who had doesn't know someone who's dealt with divorce? And I come from a different generation. So my generation is like, you know, take it on the chin, swallow it and keep going, keep moving. So you don't think about, oh, divorce is something that could have had a, a problem in my in my in my health. I, I would have never thought about it. Yeah, it was traumatic when it happened. But as time goes on, do you not forget it and keep on going? I mean, what is that? What is that? Yeah. So you named a couple of things that I want to highlight. First is that there is a really strong prevalence of ACEs among the U.S. population. So it's estimated that about 60% of people experience at least one or more ACE or adverse childhood experience. So it's really common to come across people who have experienced an ACE. The other thing that you mentioned that um, related to divorce, so emerging research is showing that there really is a debate. Should divorce still be considered an ACE? And so a lot of people say, yeah, it really should because it is that impactful on the life of the person who's experiencing the divorce um, or the family, the people who have um, either been separated or the people who are experiencing the separation. Um, And then there's some others that are now saying, well, maybe it's so common that it shouldn't necessarily be classified as an ACE. And so there's a little bit of debate out there in the research. And so I generally like to say, this is the debate. And I'll let you kind of think about how that might have implications for your practice, but also for just your life in general, if you're experiencing a divorce or separation. Because separation is another aspect where it's not necessarily classified as an ACE, but some experience it as a really fundamental altering um, situation within their lives. I mean, I can understand the mental and the emotional, but then to think that it may have an impact on my, on my health and my outcome, the outcome of my health, it it just does not, it, it just would not have, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. I think that that's why you mentioned that it's so foundational to um, the way we think about how we classify health. It really changes the way that we think about um, this has implications for, you know, my physical health moving forward. And then, like you said, obviously, the emotional and mental health. Right. And what they found in that initial study with Dr. Folletti was that these adverse childhood experiences really, the, you know, those I think it was six or seven that they had about the abuse or the neglect or um, living um, in a house where there's substance abuse, mm-hmm. um, those sorts of things. Um, it. It leads to, as you become an adult, to engage in more what I call kind of like buffering mm-hmm. um, activities to kind of help calm down that stress. Because I think having those adverse experiences in your childhood causes you to be stressed more easily. And so you engage in activities that help you calm down. And not all of those are good for your health. So there was, you know, if if you had one of the ACEs in your childhood, you were more likely to engage in smoking or in drinking. drinking. Okay. And, yeah. and so, and because I remember when I read the study initially, I was like, how does abuse lead to an increased risk of heart disease mm-hmm. or of cancer? Like, mm-hmm. What is that connection? But it, it is through these the like, risky behaviors. Yes. It it. Is, it's yeah. kind of through that like buffering that people do just, you know, we all need to tune out at some point. And so I, but I think people who have had a trauma in their early childhood just have more of a need to tune out because it does kind of affect your brain and how it develops. Why is it important to share our trauma? I mean, again, I, I, I'm saying I'm from a different generation. I'm baby boomer. You know, you just squash it down. You keep on going, but why is it important to share the trauma stories and how do we share them in a safe way? 
That's a great question. So I am of the of the mindset that it's important to share our stories because it opens us up to be able to recognize things within ourselves. But there's something that's really compelling about sharing a story that makes us um, feel more connected to each other. And it, um, it allows us to not only realize that we have something perhaps going on within us, but then it, it may not be so strange. Okay. <laughs> like we may be one among many that are sh- that share in these trauma experiences. And um, I'm, I'm really mindful of the fact that when we start to share our trauma stories, the light around us hmm. starts to um, help us understand ourselves better, hmm. understand the world better. Um, it, it's kind of healing. Yeah. And you're not <laughs> by share. yourself. You're not by yourself. And so that's the second part of your question. When you ask, how do we do this in a safe way? I think that that's a really important question because there are, um, there can be some toxic ways yeah. to um, relive trauma. But one of the really key aspects, I think, is to not do this alone, mm. um, to not do trauma work alone. And so um, whether that's, you have a really trusted friend. And when I say trusted friend, I'm talking about um, somebody who won't just let you off the hook easily, but hmm. will actually help you kind of think deeply about the questions that you're bringing to the table or will um, sit in there with you whenever it's a hard conversation mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. won't give up on you. Mm-hmm. So that's a trusted friend. But I also think that there are some incredible professionals, um, whether it's a professional who is in the mental health profession mm-hmm. and there's some trained clergy. Um, that's sometimes a place to go, particularly if you're looking for services or looking for a place to share your trauma story that is um, free mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. cheap because mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. the mental health services are not yeah. Um, yeah. covered by your insurance or right. something like that. Um but then also you can look toward community programs. So trusted community programs. I would really encourage people to investigate community programs um, to make sure that they have some good backing, some good training. But there are places like um, LGBTQ community centers that um, offer support groups. Again, communities of faith. So like an Islamic center or a church. Um, and then actually in Tarrant County, there's something that's coming out of um, Commissioner Brooks's office. It's called Bouncing Back, Thriving Forward. And they're about to launch these community-based um, healing healing circles, healing groups. And um, it's trained professionals within the community that help support people in the community. So it's for the community, from the community. Really? Yeah. And it's um, these groups are on the precipice of launching. So they should launch sometime the summer of 2022. So that's kind of what they have in the works, and they're in the in the process of recruiting and training um, people who can help lead some of these community-based groups. So there are several ways that you can start to explore your trauma story, um, but the, I think the ticket is to not do it alone, mm. not to camp alone. Right. I think you're so right, just because I when you think about these things happening in childhood, it's natural for kids to 
um, just believe that they caused it in some way. And that's mm-hmm. just because of development. And um, but just to have an adult to say it's not your fault, I think is so important. And I think kids carry around a lot of shame and guilt thinking that they cause these bad things to happen to them. And that's not the case. But I think a lot of times it takes a professional, a trusted adult to be able to tell them you did nothing to deserve this. Um, and that can be a really powerful message for kiddos. Yeah. I bet you hear that though, Kristen, mm-hmm. in your in your work with these kids. A lot, yeah. a, a whole lot. Um, and, you know, on the inpatient unit, a, a big component is group therapy where kids are sharing about their trauma experience sometimes if they're feeling safe and like they could actually get to a place of sharing. And whenever I see them in clinic outpatient, I'll ask, well, what was the most helpful thing you sought from outpatient or from uh, being in the hospital? And they'll tell me it's because I didn't feel alone. Mm. because I felt like there were some people who understood why I felt the way I did. Yeah, that's really compelling. And we know that you've been hands-on in addressing these issues here in Fort Worth. Can you tell us what you and your team have been doing to address mental health for parents living with adversity? Yeah, we have a few initiatives here focused mainly in Fort Worth, um, but some extend to Tarrant County that are – directly meant to address mental health concerns. So the first is something that came out of the ACES task force, which is a task force that is community wide and it incorporates people from different sectors. Mm -hmm. So be they um, local government or nonprofits, other healthcare providers. And we gather together to share resources and to um, talk about what are the big needs Mm -hmm. in the area? And we've identified within that, that because of COVID-19 and the pandemic, the isolation that it has caused, um, the, the fear of, of infection, um, there has, it has exacerbated or made worse some of the, um, experiences of adversity that people are, were current, were living with before the pandemic. It's just kind of made it worse. And so, What we are doing as an initiative of that ACES task force is to put together a caregiver education series. And so we are collaborating with what I'm calling the experts. And so when I say the experts, I'm saying those with lived expertise and those with clinical expertise to bring them together to share their stories of um, mental health concerns. And so the lived expertise would be the caregivers. Um, the the parents who have had a child living with a mental health concern, um, and then that will be um, bolstered or accompany a clinical expertise, and these will be short videos. So that's something that our team is producing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're helping to develop that training, recruit those experts, um, try to get get all of that situated. So that's one of the things. The other thing that we are doing. Um, particularly in the East Fort Worth area, is we have a program called Build-A-Bridge. And the the purpose of Build-A-Bridge is to help community members get connected to medical and dental home. And so that means that what sort of, we, we evaluate what sort of obstacles or barriers are there in the lives of these families um, and how can we help them navigate those barriers and obstacles to get um, get connected to a mental health a physical health, a dental health practitioner. You know, we may have listeners who don't know if they have been affected by ACEs because mm-hmm. we talked about the little one, the, the little one, it's not little, uh, divorce. And there are 10 that you mentioned. But how can they find out if what I'm, I've experienced is an ACE and if that's something that I should be paying attention to? So again, my 
I would really suggest to lean into doing this in relationship, in relationship with your healthcare provider. Um, but there are some some resources available online. I mean, you could actually go and take a quiz online and find out if um, if you've been impacted by ACE. But ultimately, you can read the list of ACEs, and you can you can actually read a lot of these ACEs studies online. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're um, free and open um, for people to read more about it. But um, again, I would encourage people to go into community, go into um, a, a relationship with perhaps your I mean, your primary care physician could be a really compelling um, person to to speak to about this and how the the potential of an ACE has impacted your health. Um, you might be going in to see them for a checkup, but um, you could you could ask them about you know what I'm I'm putting some pieces of the puzzle together, and I'm wondering how this might impact my overall health, yeah. and they could maybe get you going in the right direction. Okay, good. You're doing such good work in the community like we really appreciate all that you do because I feel like there's not enough attention brought to these you know childhood experiences that people grow up with but why do you think this work is so important to you um so ultimately I I really do believe that research my research and my work comes out of kind of my own lived experience so I have a history of trauma um I I grew up in South America, and when I was in South America, my dad was murdered in front of our home, and that was when I was 17. And I, you know, when you're in the grips of something like that, because we had to be um, evacuated from the country, and wow. so I didn't finish my junior year of high school, so no one tell anybody. <laughs> but, you um, have good reasons. <laughs> yeah, okay. decent reasons. But um, we had to be evacuated from the country, so there are things like some really dramatic losses, not only the loss of my father, but the loss of my home, yeah. of the country that I kind of had grown up in right um and the culture surrounding that country loss of friends and so to kind of pick up these pieces and move to a new location um i did not do that alone i did that with a network of support around me so i had incredible incredible clergy people who wow. supported me wow. and then my mom is Aww. i mean she's your mom <laughs> but she's she's my mom but she's also a really cool person okay. so <laughs> She gets like an extra notch on okay, the mom belt. There you go. Um, so just recognizing that these sorts of situations are not navigated individually and then having really strong people around me. And by strong people, I mean people who help me identify that um, that there's there's nothing that I did to cause certain things mm-hmm. um, and then also help me navigate and be okay with the grief that accompanied some of these experiences. Um, I had a clergy person who let me just be really messy for really a long time. Really? Um, And, and just let me question all the things that come up, like question my faith, question um, my new identity, um, question how I make purpose or meaning in my life and just, sat in with me just let me do the messy with me and so I think that's where finding those really trusted people um is really compelling and impactful and that's what motivates me not only to do the work that we do Mm -hmm. in the community I'm I'm part of a team that does some incredible work um but also it, it challenges me to do research differently 
It challenges me to ask questions differently. It challenges me to think about what it means to be human um, and get to some of these like really foundational questions about what it means to be um, a, a shared human in this space. Right, right. And you went through that. And your mother, as you gave her credit, um, was very helpful in your processing and dealing with it. But she probably had to process and deal with it as well so you she could help you. So how do parents and how do caregivers um, do the work, begin the work of processing their own trauma mm. so that they can deal with whatever their kids are going through? So that's one of the things that I think that that's why she's not just my mom, but yeah. she's like an exceptional person. So an example of that would be that she, again, did not try to do that herself. She sought um, professionals to help bolster me because she, like you said, she was experiencing her own sense of grief and loss related to the things that our family had gone through. And so she knew to turn to people in her life to help um, help her help me, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, and I think that the other thing that um, parents could do is not only equip their children with good people around them, good professionals, good um, trusted adults mm -hmm. around them, but also recognize that we can we can have an experience of trauma, but each person who's experienced that that moment of trauma experiences it differently. Yeah. So she lost a spouse. Yes. I lost a father. Right. And so it. Yes, we are grieving the same person. We've been traumatized by the same event, but she experienced it differently than I did. And she allowed me to um, exercise my grief in the way that I needed to. Right. <laughs> and then she put some kind of boundaries around that. So whenever I would um, act out because I was angry or just really didn't, I was not okay with, yeah. <laughs> with what was happening yeah. in life. She, um, she put in boundaries. She said, okay, you, um, your curfew is changed because you are, um, breaking the agreement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so she kind of helped put protective, um, pr protective factors mm -hmm. around me to kind of make sure that I didn't get too far off into the weeds. Right. There's still structure. There was structure. Right. Yeah. I, I think whenever a kid is struggling or grieving, I think sometimes parents get afraid to because they feel like they're walking on eggshells and so they don't want to push too far they don't want to challenge their kids but i agree with you that having those limits helps kids feel safe yes and i think parents often they get scared of it they're like i don't i don't want to like re-traumatize my kid right. i want them to know they can come talk to me and i'm like be consistent <laughs> no. be consistent like show them that you love them through the boundaries that you love them enough to make sure that they're safe and that they're doing what they need to do to take care of themselves so yeah. i totally agree with you on that that's yeah. so important. I mean, and and just everybody dealing with it. It's just so inc incredibly important and in how awesome it was that your mother was. She knew how to handle her own. Her relationship, like you said, with your father was different. It was a different relationship. Yeah. So her trauma was different, but still mm -hmm. dealing with it and still recognizing that when you are acting out, you may be acting out because of that trauma and yeah. not because you're just a bad kid. That's you know, right. you're acting out because there's something there. And she recognized that. How awesome. She did. She recognized that, yeah, it was something that happened to me. It was not something about me. Right. That um, that was causing me to maybe act in a way that was not normal for me. Unacceptable. Not, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, I think the other thing that she did really well and she demonstrated well was that she took care of herself. 
Oh. So um, as a parent, and um, I just reflect on, I'm sorry, I'm not a parent, but um, as I reflect on her parenting, I, um, I'm just really mindful of the fact that she um, made sure that she had people around her to help her mm-hmm. as well. So she was not only looking out for me, but she was looking out for her some of the things that she needed to take care of and look out for herself. Now, did you have siblings in this situation? I do. I have an older brother. Okay. So he was dealing too. He was. Yeah. He was at college when it happened. So he was here in the U.S. whenever, whenever it all happened. But still dealing with it in a different way, even a, even a more different way because he wasn't right right there, but still trauma nonetheless. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, he, he, um, he's a lovely person too. And, and yet, but, absolutely impacted by it as well. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Well, you know, thank you so much. I mean, um, this was informative. I know I'm dealing with ACEs. I got to go back and look for mine. (laughs) (laughs) I I got probably about three or four of them that I'm, I'm doing adversely and not, not really dealing with very well. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we appreciate uh, your time. And to our listeners, if you want to learn more about adverse childhood experiences, we have a lot of great information at checkupnewsroom.com. Yeah. And if you and your child is struggling, please know that it's okay to reach out to a licensed professional, a counselor, someone in your area, or a physician. And if you get a chance, please take the time to rate and review and subscribe to Raising Joy. Have a joyful day.